This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. The current economic downturn has left many companies scrambling to manage workplace issues, ranging from how to avoid a brain drain to how they can provide better value to customers and clients. Employees, for their part, face the challenges that arise from working in a leaner organization that demands increased productivity with fewer resources. Knowledge at Wharton talked about these issues with Peter Capelli, Wharton Management Professor and Director of the school's Center for Human Resources, and Philip Miscamera, a partner in the labor and employment practice in the Chicago office of law firm Morgan Lewis & Bacchius, co-chair of the Morgan Lewis Workforce Change Practice, and managing director of Wharton Center for Human Resources Research Advisory Group. Peter and Phil, thanks for joining us. I'm going to start off with a general question. What lessons can be learned from this recent downturn in terms of which workforce management strategies have worked and which haven't? Peter? Well, I think, uh, unfortunately, I'd say in this recent downturn, one of the things we remembered is how important is it to recall the lessons of previous downturns. Uh, And I think uh, many companies uh, discovered this time that they didn't have anybody inside their organizations who knew how to downsize. Uh, And as a result, they ended up with lots of uh, troubles, and some of the troubles will appear later on in the form of litigation and other sorts of things. And I think uh, more generally, I think some firms started to realize that it really would make sense to think analytically about what your choices are, think about the costs and benefits, and and not just respond in a knee-jerk fashion, which I think we saw a lot of companies do. You mentioned increases in litigation. What are you talking about there? Well, I I could address that. I mean, historically, there have always been increases in litigation after significant declines in economic activity. And uh, that's been fairly uh, noticeable and fairly distinct, especially if you look at unemployment levels and track that against the types of lawsuits that get filed. And there are many reasons for that that you can get into. Uh, This particular downturn may end up being different in terms of the amount of litigation that ends up arising from uh, the uh, low level of e- economic activity over the past 18 months. That's something that we can spend a little more time talking about as well. As, as Phil sometimes says, lawyers have to eat too. <laughs> so in these downturns, lawsuits uh, go up for all kinds of reasons. But one of them is they're not so busy. Let me ask you just to follow that line of thought. What specific types of lawsuits do you think you'll see? I'm guessing there'll be more age discrimination lawsuits because people are having to work longer. They can't retire as soon as they wanted because of the downturn in the economy and so forth. Is that the kind of thing we might see? Well, certainly there is. We can expect to see uh, significant activity in terms of age discrimination lawsuits, but also whenever employers end up making a choice of one employee versus another, which happened a lot in this particular most recent downturn. Uh, There are various types of protected employees on different grounds, whether it's sex, whether it's disability, whether it's religion, and of course, uh, age and race. Uh, Employers in general after this downturn, I think, are bracing themselves for the possibility of increased litigation across the board. Again, whether that's realized is a another question, but it certainly is consistent with what's occurred in the past. It's probably fair to say, Phil, that uh, this has happened every other time, so there's every reason to think it'll happen again, uh, that is, it spikes up afterwards. And isn't one of the reasons that damages are bigger? That is, once uh, if somebody is dismissed, they don't have a job for a long period of time, the damages are bigger, plaintiff lawyers like it better? Well, that, that 
that's right. In, in, in discrimination cases in particular, uh, all of the employee plaintiffs have an obligation to try to demonstrate the mitigated damages as far as trying to find work elsewhere. Uh, in uh, an economic downturn, especially like the one we've seen over the past 24 months, uh, it's the, the absence of other alternatives for employees really makes it relatively easy for them to establish they couldn't find a job regardless of what they did. And that ends up increasing damages, that ends up attracting, uh, making potential litigation more attractive to plaintiff's lawyers, and uh, a number of other cascading consequences that follow from that. Just in terms of this particular downturn and the upturn that we're we're in for some sectors of the economy, not all, and certainly not for uh, employees in general, since they are continuing to be unemployed in record numbers. Um, what do we know about uh, about this downturn in terms of employment issues, including layoffs? Well, we just had a presentation at our Center for Human Resources from Frank Diebold, who is co-director of Wharton's uh, Center for Financial Institutions, Financial Services. And uh, Frank does macroeconomic uh, uh, issues, and, and he's generated some new data that allows us to look at this downturn, and it does appear that it's worse even than the 1981 downturn, uh, that this will probably go on record as the worst uh, downturn since the Great, uh, Great Depression. Uh, and I think what's interesting about it is it seems to be following a pattern on the upside that is very similar to the last two recessions. And so far, it will probably play out the same way. And that is this idea of a jobless recovery. The recovery seems to be on track to be quite similar to the previous two recoveries, but it takes a long time for jobs to come back. And one of the reasons for that, my sense is, is that so much of the work is now done in the upturn by temps and by independent contractors and by leased employees, and they don't necessarily show up uh, on the employment rolls, and at least not in the same way. Uh, and so it could look like you have fewer people working if you look at the unemployment rates and if you look at uh, uh, particularly the number of people who are employed uh, when you're not counting independent contractors and those sorts of folks. So my guess is it'll look similar. It'll take a long time before the jobs come back. It may be years before they come back to the level we had before this downturn. When companies say they're, that they're laying people off, are they really laying people off? Well, in the past, uh, there has been a, uh, a belief that the investment community liked layoffs, that if you laid people off, it looked like you were taking action, it looked like you were cutting costs, and the investment community used to reward people every time you announced that. And as a result, there was strong evidence that employers actually announced more layoffs than they actually executed. Uh, I think more recently, the investment community has begun uh, not to reward uh, companies so much for layoffs anymore, but maybe you'd get really punished if you didn't. It's a little hard to say. Uh, so it may not be quite as bad as it was, and, and that is the uh, announced layoffs may, <laughs> unfortunately, reflect the real layoffs uh, a lot. So, And I'm, my guess is that's what's happened now. You know, one of the things that I think has been more evident in the past downturn than prior downturns is the notion that it's actually not easy and it's not cheap to implement an effective layoff. And I think many companies have really struggled with the notion that they're very good in most cases at doing certain things, but few companies are actually in the business of implementing effective layoffs. And the risks are, are quite high, both in terms of the quality of the decisions that you make in connection with a reduction in force, as well as the possibility that you can lose the people that you don't want to lose. And, and worse, uh, if you lose people that you don't want to lose in terms of uh, what constitutes a good business decision? Uh, those people, more often than not, will go to your competitors. So 
from a strategic perspective, uh, I think many companies have discovered in this most recent downturn that having an effective layoff that uh, actually helps the organization rather than inflicting strategic damage on the organization is fairly difficult to do. And I'd say, you know, one of the reasons why that is, is most of the most of the companies we're thinking about, particularly the larger ones, went through about a, maybe a 10-year period of worrying about attraction and retention. So, you know, just before this downturn, if you looked at the CEO priority lists and the top three typically were attracting and retaining talent, and then they went right from that in sort of whiplash fashion into laying people off. And I, I think even inside these companies, they realized that this was a little bizarre to do. You know, Phil's point about uh, not having the competencies to do this. One of the reasons is because of this sort of great moderation they talk about in the U.S. economy from uh, the 1990s through to this recession. Uh, we had some downturns, but they weren't very uh, they weren't very severe, and not that many companies laid off. So the last big round of layoffs uh, for a lot of organizations was, you know, close to 20 years ago. And inside those companies, I don't, don't even have anybody who was around 20 years ago. So the knowledge about how to do it was something they just uh, didn't have anymore, and they end up tripping over a lot of legal issues, among other things. Phil, you mentioned that, um, you know, if, if companies lay off their uh, end up laying off some of their best workers, that these workers could go to competitors. But if competitors are laying off employees also, it's going to be tough for these, quote, best workers to find jobs. And is there a danger that they'll start their own companies, that they'll change their professions, they'll go back to school or whatever, and that basically that knowledge base is lost to these corporate executives? Well, that, there are actually two interesting insights in your question. One is that's certainly a concern, the possibility that you really have a brain drain as a result of a downturn is something that I think everybody in a particular industry would fear, especially if they're not making good decisions in terms of who to keep or if they need to contract who ends up being reduced as part of a reduction in force. But the other thing that's interesting and that we have seen uh, to some degree in this downturn, uh, although this abated somewhat as the downturn increased in its longevity, uh, a number of companies regarded the downturn, and I think still do, as opportunities to actually pick up talent from other companies uh, with respect to people that otherwise wouldn't be available. You certainly see a lot, saw that on Wall Street, where there was a lot of discussion, particularly about hiring brokers and things like that. You know, I, I think it is uh, important to recognize that one of the big issues in these downsizings is not just the people who leave, it's the people who stay. And one of the big uh, concerns about doing this in a way that does little damage is what happens to the morale of the folks who stay around. So there's some surveys right now indicating that as many as 60% of the employees in U.S. firms say that as soon as the economy picks up, they're going to start looking for a job elsewhere. And some of that is because they didn't like what happened in the downturn in the job that they – in the organization that they had. You know, they didn't think downsizing was handled well. They didn't think uh, they were dealt with well, uh, even though they may have kept their job. So, you know, we spend a lot of time uh, focusing on the issue of the folks who are laid off, but the people who remain uh, are an issue as well. I think just going back to Phil's point about uh, doing this correctly and thinking about the brain drain issue, you know, if you think about the costs of turnover in a typical company – the conservative estimates uh, are something like a year's salary, the cost of letting somebody uh, of replacing somebody. The cost of laying somebody off is even bigger because you have the exposure to liability, you have severance payments, and all those other sorts of things. So, 
You're talking about at a minimum a year's salary, and in some organizations, in law firms, for example, I just saw a, a detailed analysis that said it's like five years' salary for a senior lawyer to leave because of the loss of clients and all that sort of stuff. If you're thinking about this and you're saying to yourself, when do you think business will come back? When will we need to hire these folks back? Uh, the only way it makes sense to lay people off if you're worried about saving money, and even if you're not thinking about the collateral damage, is if you think you're not going to need that labor for years, right? But if you think, as in some of these companies, they're expecting their business to come back pretty quickly, uh, laying people off is just a nutty idea. And so I think inside the organization, it's not we don't want to say it never makes sense to lay off, but at the very least, you ought to sit down and cost it out and say, what's it going to cost us? What's going to happen when we have to bring these people back? How difficult will it be? What's the ramp-up time? Uh, and how long will we have to, you know, we need to go without these jobs in order to make it pay? As far as I can see, not very many companies do that. So they underestimate, basically, the, they under, the cost. Yeah, they just, they're going with their gut. And my, my quick sense, as I've started to tell our MBA students, is whenever you're going with your gut, you're doing something wrong, right? Because in most cases, you could actually figure it out, uh, and you should sit down and do it. Yeah, there is one aspect of the most recent downturn that may differ somewhat from what historically has been the case. And Peter alluded to the potential morale problems among the people that are left in connection with the downturn. And those are the people that conventional wisdom has that are left really picking up the pieces. Uh, uh, one of the things that we've seen in connection with the current downturn in the past 24 months, increasingly there are a number of employees who have seen the economy go down and stay down for such a prolonged period of time that there's actually been a reverse boomerang to a certain degree where employees have more loyalty than perhaps they did before if they're left and they continue to have employment and have seen employers that have reacted in a helpful and responsible way. The people that are continuing to be with organizations trying to do more with less in some respects have a greater energy and a greater commitment to the organization than they had before. Well, this this is a definitely a, a sea change because I know we've been talking for many years about the fact that that because of the mobility around employees these days that there's very little loyalty to the firms that they basically stay maybe three to five years, get all the training they can on the job, and then move out. So that may actually shift a little. Well, I think this is an opportunity for employers to build loyalty, right? And loyalty you might think of as sort of reciprocity. And so, you know, has the employer done some things to protect employees? And we see, you know, there are some that have done it. I think it's also an interesting time for employers uh, to actually develop talent, right? Because in a lot of these organizations, they've pulled people out and a lot of the work has remained. Uh, and it's an opportunity for junior folks to take on more senior tasks. Now, you can just drown people in the context of doing this, right? Just push more work on them. And that's not helpful. But if you did it in a purposeful way, and you actually gave people a little coaching, a little help to take on more senior roles, uh, you know, these are sort of stretch assignments, uh, it could actually be good for some of the employees, not that downsizing is good for the ones who stay, but to take on more senior tasks and more challenging tasks. One of the things I heard a lot from employers now is their concern when the upturn comes about how they're going to backfill all these positions, people they've taken out. And, you know, they'd like to be able to do it internally, but you're not going to be able to do that unless you've actually prepared your employees in some ways for it. The one other thing I might add is there's also a litigation-related uh, boomerang effect that we may see. And, and typically, as we have already discussed, if you end up having a downturn and significant numbers of layoffs, we have generally seen an increase in 
a variety of uh, employment or uh, RIF-related claims. Uh, the one thing that has really become, I refer to this as the uh, ubiquitous fudge factor. There's been such a widespread, broad-based use of severance pay and release agreements that many employees uh, in large, large numbers, when confronted with uh, all of the evidence of a very, very slow and declining economy, have uh, accepted severance pay and signed waivers and releases. And that's now occurred in such large numbers, and it's become so commonplace for companies to work out some type of separation package that's meaningful. On the one hand, that it obviously contributes to the cost of having a reduction in force, which can, in certain respects, defeat the purpose of having uh, a RIF. Uh, on the other hand, uh, it ends up operating as a fudge factor covering all kinds of imperfections that may have taken place in the process itself because so many people sign releases. They are then, uh, although we sometimes see litigation uh, arising from a challenge to waiver and release agreements themselves, uh, the, the broad-based acceptance of releases may actually prevent litigation from increasing in the current downturn the way it has in the past. Okay, uh, Phil, let me let me direct this question to you. Uh, we've all been reading about law firms delaying start times for their first-year associates, cutting salaries, uh, and my guess is uh, that's probably going to be happening in some of the other knowledge worker firms, like consulting firms, whatever. The, the health care bill that's going to be passed in some form probably is going to affect doctors and probably the amount of money they make. So are you, fi- or do you, th- are you finding or do you think you're going to find um, – a different type of student who goes to these professional schools? Are, are these cutbacks in salary and maybe even prestige uh, changing the incentives for these students to go into these professions? It's, it's very, very difficult to um, answer that question. In part, that depends on how unusual the current business climate uh, proves to be and how long the current downturn lasts. The one thing that I can say is that Uh, Surprise, surprise, law firms have discovered that they are also business organizations. And uh, uh, I think all law firms across the country, and this is a fairly broad generalization that I think applies to most firms, uh, have the same concern that other employers have had in connection with this most recent downturn, which is how do you respond in a responsible way to the need to contract, but how do you do that when your business really focuses on talent and the ability to provide services to people uh, in a way that is different and better than other people in the industry. And that's something that, uh, you know, that story has yet to be written to completion. But I think that's something that for sure uh, law firms are trying to focus on, as are other businesses in this current economy. You know, Phil's firm is one that uh, did some really interesting things in in this area. I think in this way, law firms have been ahead of the pack. And what they did is they had some associates they had promised uh, opportunities to in the market uh, tanked. And they offered them the following arrangement, and that was to take a marginal salary, a half salary, or some some firms less than that, to go uh, spend the year doing pro bono work or working in some other uh, area, but not in the firm, Um, but something that would help them learn and would also help uh, the firm's reputation in some ways, right? Uh, And you can think about this as really (laughs) buying an option 
on future lawyers, right? So they're basically paying a, a certain amount of money to just put them on hold for a year so that they're available next year once the business comes back. Uh, and this is actually a really clever idea, and it's a, it's a good thing all the way around. The, you know, the employees get to do something useful uh, for themselves and, and for society. Uh, they don't have to sit on their hands for a year laid off and hope to get back into the market. And the firms who struggle to hire the best people have got these folks waiting in the wings next year to bring on board. So, you know, it is a pretty clever way of trying to balance all the interests of the parties. Without avoiding, uh, uh, trying to avoid being completely cynical about these things, Peter uses the term clever. I, I would prefer, and I do think that my firm, I'll give my firm a commercial, Morgan Lewis and Bacchius, uh, has done uh, some things that are innovative in terms of trying to act in a responsible way towards uh, incoming attorneys. Uh, act in a responsible way relative to clients that continue to look to law firms to do more with less. Uh, and also, there's intrinsic value in acting in a responsible way with respect to a large array of public and civic causes to which uh, my firm, Morgan Lewis, happens to be committed. So I think apart from being clever, there actually is value in doing the right thing sometimes, and that's what we've been trying to do. Let me ask you about um, law firms again. The business model for big law firms is under attack uh, in terms of some people saying more legal work should be done, will be done by companies in-house to better control and cut down their legal costs. How, how do how do big law firms adjust to this? Well, you know, that's something that I think has been cyclical for a long, long time. And it's uh, an issue that companies grapple with, which is, uh, can you save money by keeping more work in-house and having reliance less on outside law firms? And Peter can comment, uh, the same thing generally applies to other types of work that is outsourced from time to time. Uh, and then uh, the amount of legal work that's done inside companies ends up increasing for different periods of time. And then companies realize they have significant expenses associated with large legal staffs. And then uh, sometimes that, uh, that cycle repeats itself and then it goes downward. I, mean, I, I think that there are two things that uh, really are challenges that lawyers and law firms are confronting right now. One is, like everyone else in the world, uh, law firms have to do uh, more with less and find ways to be more efficient and more productive and provide higher levels of service rather than lower levels of service. Uh, and the second thing is it's not acceptable to say uh, we are going to do things this way because this is the way it's always been done. So I think that the uh, better firms are really using this as an opportunity, the current economy as an opportunity to really focus inward and ask, what is it that we provide that's of value to the people that we serve? And how can we do that better, even if that requires doing things differently than the way uh, what people have seen in the past? Well, that, that gets to my last question, which you've answered in part right there, which is what advice would each of you give uh, to uh, corporate executives and to employees uh, in the economy that we have today. Phil, well, you would say that they should take this as an opportunity, as you just said, to look at the way they're doing business, the executives, and see if there are changes they can make. But uh, I, I agree with that, and I would say two other things. One is that um, I think that it's important for executives, if they're looking at the potential need for a downturn, to spend a great deal of their time focusing on the people that will remain with the organization. There's a temptation in a reduction in force, in part because of the fear of litigation, to focus 
predominantly on the people that unfortunately are leaving the organization when for many reasons really you can make a case that the opposite should be true notwithstanding what you're doing for the people that are leaving you should do as much as you can to focus on the people that are staying uh, the other thing and this is a bit of heresy for uh, a lawyer to actually articulate the quality of the business decisions is actually more important than preparing for litigation i think that the uh, current economy presents challenges that have such strategic importance for companies, uh, the focus really should be on making good business decisions. And in most cases, they will also end up being very consistent with the sorts of things that lawyers focus on in terms of then defending those decisions if you end up getting a variety of legal claims. And what, what one piece of advice would you offer employees? I'd say with respect to employees, uh, the most important thing is to stick to your knitting. I think uh, employees, to a certain degree, are a microcosm and have the same challenges that employers have, which is to do everything that you can to try to service your client or service your organization. And the employees that are doing the best in the current economy are the people that have done the most looking internally within themselves to really provide value to the organizations within which they work. Okay. Peter, both executives and employees? So I'd say for the organizations, um, the uh, piece of advice is to think about these issues analytically, really think them through in terms of costs and benefits. You know, we've, we feel we've got, we need to lay people off. I'd ask a lot of why questions. You know, why are we doing it? Is this the best way to cut if we have to cut costs? Uh, and what are the consequences of those costs? It's not that you shouldn't do it. I'm not saying think about this simply as an ethical issue, but what are the costs of cutting people? What do we think the benefits are? How long out will it go? And once we do it, what's our plan once business picks up? How long will that take? Will we be able to get people like this back? What will that cost? What are the effects on the people inside? You ought to be asking a lot of why questions. There was a stunning statistic early in the recession that showed that in two-thirds of companies, the senior human resource people were not involved in the layoff decisions. Uh, and that's amazing. Uh, I think... Um, if, if you thought your HR people are not uh, good enough to give you answers to those questions, uh, you should find some who are. Uh, but if you're not asking those questions, you're doing something wrong. You might as well just be flipping coins. I guess it's kind of amazing the extent to which companies are very sophisticated in supply chain analysis and thinking about how they buy parts and how they sell stuff. And when it comes to these people issues, they're just kind of going with their gut most of the time. And you know, it's you don't need to do that. There are answers to all these questions, and you can figure out what really makes sense among an array of options. It's not as simple as do we lay off or not. There are lots of ways to think about the problem. I'd say for for uh, employees, I think there are uh, there are some opportunities uh, for people who still have jobs um, to use this as a moment to. Uh, move up in the organization. For the reasons we said before, there's lots of work that needs to be done inside companies more now because they've taken out so many people. Uh, and there's an opportunity to step up to a bigger role by taking on some of those res additional responsibilities. And uh, one way to do it without killing yourself is to talk to your bosses about things you can drop. Say, look, there, these projects have to be done, but I see these were done, you know, projects that were done by my boss who's now been let go. Uh, could I take on some of her tasks there? I, it means I'll have to drop some of these other ones. But it's an opportunity to negotiate to sort of upgrade your portfolio of tasks that puts you in a position once the recession lifts uh, to get the promotion or and if you can't get it there to leave and go someplace else where you can. 
Well, Peter, Phil, thank you both. This has been very interesting. Thanks for having us. Thank you. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.